vaginal delivery. Vaginal delivery is the safest for the fetus and the mother when the newborn is full term at the gestational age of 37 to 42 weeks. Vaginal delivery is preferred considering the morbidity and mortality associated with operative cesarean births has increased over time. Approximately 80% of all singleton vaginal deliveries are at full term via spontaneous labor, whereas 11% are preterm and 10% are post-term. Of note, with the advent of operative delivery modalities and surgical delivery modalities, the number of patients who reach spontaneous labor has decreased over time and the induction of labor has increased. The labor leading to the delivery is divided into three stages. With each stage requires specific management. Complications arise during each of the three stages, which can lead to the conversion of the anticipated vaginal delivery to operative cesarean section. According to the latest published data in the United States in 2017, there were 3,855,500 births and 68% to 2,621,010 of those were vaginal deliveries. The preterm birth rate is 9.9% and the population's birth rate was 11.8 per 1,000. Anatomy and physiology, female reproductive system. The labor leading to delivery of a full-term pregnancy is divided into three stages. The management of each stage varies, and exam findings during each stage can help identify short-term and long-term complications for the anticipated vaginal delivery, such as fetal distress and hypoxemia, cord prolapse, placental abruption, uterine rupture, permanent disability, and maternal and or fetal death. The first stage of labor is the longest stage of labor. It is the result of progressive and rhythmic uterine contraction, which causes the cervix to dilate. The first stage of labor is divided into two substages. The first substage is known as the latent phase, which can last for several hours, and it starts from the cervical size of zero centimeters to dilation of the cervix to six centimeters. The second substage is known as the active phase, which includes the time from the end of the latent phase to the complete dilation of the cervix. The fa this phase is rapid. In nulliparous women, the cervix dilates at approximately a rate of 1 centimeter per hour. It dilates slightly faster at a rate of 1.2 centimeters per hour in multiparous women. The second stage of labor includes the time from complete cervical dilation, which is the end of the first stage of delivery of the fetus. Duration of this phase is variable and can last from minutes to hours. However, the maximum amount of time that a woman can be in this phase of labor depends on the parity of the patient, whether the patient has an epidural catheter placed for anesthesia. During this phase, three clinical parameters are important to be aware of, which includes fetal presentation, fetal station, and fetal position. The fetal presentation is dictated by which fetal body part first passes through the birth canal. Most commonly, this is the occiput of the vertex of the head. The fetal station is determined by, determined by the relationship between the fetal head and the maternal ischial spines. The station is defined uh, from a range of negative 5 to positive 5, and 0 indicates that the fetal head is level with the maternal ischial spine. The fetal position is defined as the position of the top of the fetus's head in comparison to the plane of the maternal ischial spines when it is born. The vertex, which is the top of the fetus's head, normally rotates in either direction during the internal rotation portion of the cardinal movements of during childbirth. There are six cardinal movements of childbirth, all of which occur during the second stage of labor. 
The first of these movements is engagement, which occurs when the head of the fetus enters the lower pelvis, when there is flexion of the head, which enables the occiput of the head and the fetus to be in the presentation position. This flexion is then followed by descent when the fetus descends through the birth canal through the pelvis. Once the descent is complete, there is internal rotation, which enables the vertex of the fetal head to rotate away from the ischial spines located laterally. Then there is an extension of the head, which allows the fetal head to pass the maternal pubis symphysis. And finally, there is external rotation of the head, which allows, for, allows the anterior shoulder to be delivered. The second stage of labor ends once the fetus is delivered. The final stage of labor includes the time after the child is born to delivery of the placenta. The duration of this phase is approximately 30 minutes. During this time, as the uterus contracts, the placenta separates from the endometrium. This process begins at the lower pole of the placenta and progresses along the adjacent sites of the placental attachment. The continual uterine contraction causes a wave-like separation in the upward direction which causes the most superior portion of the placenta to detach last. Signs of placental detachment includes a sudden gush of blood, lengthening of the umbilical cord, and cephalid movement of the uterine fundus, which becomes firm and globular once the placenta detaches. The third stage of labor concludes once the placenta completely separates and is delivered. For full-term pregnancies, vaginal delivery is indicated when spontaneous labor occurs or if amniotic and chorionic membranes rupture. In addition, for complicated gestations or for the post-term pregnancies, induction of labor is indicated, which is, an which is an indication of vaginal delivery. For women in spontaneous labor, the consistencies in review of the literature review that the woman has regular contractions that require her focus and attention combined with either uh, a sufficient effacement that is greater than or to or equal than 80% and or 45 centimeters of cervical dilation. The woman is in spontaneous labor and should be admitted to the hospital for a normal spontaneous vaginal delivery. It is important to note that uh, that woman, women near labor can feel regular contractions but can present without cervical effacement or dilation and can be discharged with a follow-up after routine monitoring of the fetal heart rate and monitoring contractions with a tocodynamiter. Subsequently, some women with cervical dilation or effacement without sufficient spontaneous contractions can be admitted for augmentation and induction of labor using oxytocin. The rupture of membranes is an, another indication of vaginal delivery. This may be indicated by a sudden gush of watery fluid reported by the mother, mother which may be associated with a uterine contraction. Rupture of membranes at term gestation is an indication for vaginal delivery. Management of a patient's preterm premature rupture of membranes is dependent on the gestation of pregnancy, among other maternofetal characteristics. Certain conditions necessitate the induction of labor as timely delivery of pregnancy is important as peripartum outcomes, or both the mother and the fetus. Conditions such as post-term pregnancy, defined as gestation greater than 42 weeks and zero days, preterm rupture of membranes, gestational hypertensive disorder, preeclampsia, eclampsia, help, hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet count syndrome, fetal demise, fetal growth restriction, chorioamniotitis, oligohydromnios, placental abruption, intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy, among other conditions, are all indications for labor and vaginal delivery. Contraindications. 
Vaginal delivery is preferred method of childbirth. However, there are certain conditions when vaginal delivery is contraindicated. Certain conditions require immediate conversion of vaginal delivery to an emergency cesarean section for childbirth. While some conditions can spontaneously resolve and a trial of vaginal delivery can be attempted. Conditions that require prompt cesarean section and are contraindicated contraindications to vaginal delivery can be categorized by the, by the system. Certain presentations such as a footling breach, frank breach, complete breach, or cord prolapse are indications for emergency conversion to cesarean section. Pathologies associated with malposition of the fetus such as face presentation with mentum, chin in the direction of the maternal sacrum, posterior transverse lie or shoulder presentation, and occiput posterior should be converted to the abdominal, abdominal delivery. Twin gestations when presenting twin is in a breech position. Conjoined twins with a monoamniotic twins are contraindications for vaginal delivery. Abnormal placenta positions such as placenta previa, known as placenta accreta, or history of uterine rupture are conditions that are, are contraindications for vaginal delivery. Infections such as active genital herpes outbreak is also absolute contraindication for vaginal delivery. In the USA, higher order births are also contraindications for vaginal delivery. Relative contraindications also exist for vaginal delivery. There are certain conditions where vaginal delivery can be tried. A trial of labor after cesarean section can also be attempted, but is contraindicated when there's a history of multiple cesarean sections, history of placenta previa, and evidence of cephalopelvic disproportion as indicated by macrosomia. Fetal weight greater than 5,000 grams in a mother with diabetes or fetal weight greater than 4,500 grams in a mother without diabetes are relative contraindications of vaginal delivery. Equipment. Ensuring proper equipment is essential to the successful delivery to, and to minimize fetal and maternal morbidity and mortality. Appropriate equipment is necessary to anticipate and appropriately manage improbable but realistic complications of low-risk vaginal deliveries. As 20 to 25% of all perinatal morbidity and mortality occurs in pregnancies devoid of risk factors for adverse outcomes. Appropriate preparation includes a warm and clean room with adequate lighting and supplemental light source, a delivery bed with clean linen whose height can be adjusted, plastic sheet in order to place under the mother, chlorohexene and wipes there are there should be equipment for barrier protection such as gloves and masks sterile equipment includes appropriate sterile gloves sterile instruments such as scissors needle holders artery forceps for cord clamping uh, dissecting forceps strong for sponge forceps sterile blade and cord and cord ties the list of equipment needed also includes a tocodynamometer to monitor uterine contractions during an external um, using an external monitor or for intrauterine pressure catheter and fetal heart rate monitor with either external heart rate monitor or internal heart rate fetal monitor scalp electrode with if the delivery needs assistance either forceps or vacuum can be kept bedside to assist in the vaginal delivery or you could just deliver the baby in the patient's living room <laughs>